ever seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Hello, everyone. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Space Talk. This episode is um, our part of our historical figures uh, series that we do here on Space Talk. It's an ongoing series where we will highlight a specific historical figure in the field of astronomy, astrophysics, and space exploration that has made an impact to the industry or to different humans' lives. And who better than Carl Sagan to highlight uh, for specifically historical figures? Um, he is was such an incredible human being. I wish I had the chance to actually meet him and know him. Um, and so we're going to be talking all about him today. So hello, happy you're here. Hope you're having a wonderful start or, or middle of your uh, Wednesday here, April 6th. Um, wherever you are, uh, just give me a shout out in the chat or in with maybe you could send over an emoji if you'd like and let me know that you're doing okay, that you're doing well. Um, we've got quite a lot of things that are going on this week in the night sky. We chatted about them yesterday on uh, yesterday's uh, kind of look forward to the week uh, space stuff, so different events and astronomical occurrences and stuff like that. Um, so it's always always a fun time to kind of look forward to see what's going on in the night sky because I don't think we look at it often enough. So let's jump into Carl Sagan. Uh, so I think I think first of all, anyone who knows of Carl Sagan, give me some snaps, snaps either on your own or an applaud, um, or maybe leave it in the in the chat and say yes, like Carl Sagan, and and maybe one thing that he has uh, maybe done to help impact your philosophy or the way you think of things or the way that you've learned astronomy, what whatever it is, what way has Carl Sagan inspired you? For me, uh, there's so many aspects that Carl Sagan has really impacted my life uh, as an astronomer, as, as a student, as um, a science communicator who is, you know, kind of looking at the footsteps in which he took to then kind of guide my path uh, in, in my own journey, my own way. So that's, that's one aspect, but it's more so this kind of philosophical take on humanity and where we're kind of going and and what all of this really is and what it means and there's been quite a lot of lectures of his that I've listened to uh but there there's a few where he really touches on kind of this interconnectedness that he has sort of 
thought about it and kind of realized within his research and astronomy and um and it makes sense as to why he you know ended up making cosmos and ended up becoming kind of the one of the most profound figures in the field of astronomy that was in the public eye. Uh, there weren't really many people, I'd say, that were in the public eye who were scientists and researchers. Um, and so he really m allowed for this to become more digestible for a lot of people, more mainstream. Um, and just also, I think that helped shift kind of society in a more educational, intellectual uh, way. I think that a lot of times for so long, uh, and so we're still kind of like this as a society, but we'll often read things off of like what we see in the news or the media or even social media, but we don't sometimes take it upon ourselves to be the researcher. We kind of just absorb what we hear. And he was very encouraging of that uh, in his books that I've read. Uh, so, so Cosmos, Contact, A Demon Haunted World, uh, so many different books he's written. Uh, he really kind of uh, takes that approach without really saying it directly, saying, hey, you should do this. It's more just like, I've learned this as I've kind of approached life in this way. And maybe, you know, you can give it a shot too. And so with that being said, I think he ended up being probably one of the best teachers to anyone that ever got to be a student of his, um, whether academically or just sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe mentorship-wise or friend-wise. Um, I have a couple mentors who were, uh, like, who knew him, who were, were, you know, friends with him or were actually mentored by him. And sort of just hearing their stories is, is just so incredible. And I, and I feel like as if there's a part of Carl in, in all of us. I mean, because Carl is all of us. We are each other. We are all humans. Uh, we're, we're not kind of... Maybe it might sound as if I'm possibly putting him up a little bit high on a higher podium, and uh, and in a way, uh, maybe that that's true in in some aspects. But at the end of the day, he, like you know, he is was still a human just like all of us. Um, you know, he 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 did uh, pass away sadly, which which was quite young. I believe he was about 30 years old from pneumonia. Um, so he was struggling health wise for a little bit. But um, before doing that, you know, he, he made some incredible contributions to not just the field of astronomy, but also um, outreach type of programs. So he co-created the Planetary Society. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just sharing all this stuff right now from my own knowledge, and that'll kind of pull up his biography, which I have in front of me. Um, but just a few more fun facts of things that I just know about Carl off the top of my head. Uh, if you guys don't know about the Planetary Society, it's currently run by Bill Nye. Uh, I believe he's the CEO of it. Um, but it was founded by Richard Feynman and Carl Sagan uh, and, and then also Bill. And it's a nonprofit organization that is very heavily focused on um, doing things in the field of space. So not just astronomy, but also, uh, you know, rocketry and, and stuff with legislation Um and I've mentioned it a couple times on here before, but they uh, have a few different partnerships for uh, congressional blitzes. And what that just means is you'd go to uh, Washington, D.C., go to Capitol Hill, and you'd be trained with them at NASA headquarters uh, on basically what NASA is uh, proposing to uh, the federal budget for the upcoming fiscal year of what they would basically want what they'd want funded, what they would want missions to be funded, what kind of research, et cetera. 
And so this is just one small example of all the different things the Planetary Society has done. But uh, you could find them basically everywhere. Uh, you also could be a donation member if you wanted to. I, I am a member as well, so I donate monthly. Um, and yeah, just just really wonderful organization in general. So let's kind of jump into some Carl Sagan stuff. Okay, so first, first and foremost, um, if you were here in the beginning of today's episode, I did play a, an excerpt of the Pale Blue Dot speech by Carl Sagan. And this was when the very first image come back f- uh, from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 spacecraft um, is the first space probe that is has reached interstell- interstellar space. It was part of a two-part mission. There's another spacecraft called Voyager 2. And um, I believe both of them have already passed the heliosphere. And the heliosphere is a region in which uh, the the radiation from the sun uh, reaches up until. So it's kind of like the line. And so when you get past the heliosphere, it's now considered interstellar space. It's considered beyond our solar system. So heliosphere is typically the mark at where the kind of stopping point is of our solar system. In case you ever wondered kind of how astronomers astronomers measure the end of the solar system. It's not at Pluto. It's not even at the Kuiper Belt or the Oort Cloud. It's... It's, it's uh, the, kind of the end of the radiation point of the sun. And so the pale blue dot speech um, was so monumental, and it still is. I mean, there's I think the, there's not a day that, that goes by in, in an astronomy class or uh, kind of just chatting with anybody about space that this doesn't come up. Uh, I've heard this come up so many times, and it's because this was the first time humanity has seen just how tiny our planet looks uh, from the perspective of Saturn. So this is where the picture was taken. If you guys want to look it up, I highly recommend typing in pale blue dot image. And uh, regardless of it being from Saturn or some other you know planet, if it were, but just sort of seeing the size of Earth and how tiny it looks from really, really far away. And it really brings into perspective size. It brings into perspective importance. It brings into perspective uh, our, our own assumptions of our importance or lack of, or kind of both at the same time, which I think is why it's so incredible for a lot of people and why it shifted so much within individuals when they saw this image, because it's kind of this like double feeling at the same time uh, where, where you're like, oh, wow, it's so tiny. We're so unimportant. But at the same time, we don't know of anywhere else yet that has life or at least intelligent life. Well, no life and then not even life that's conscious like us. And and so at the same time, you're like, oh, we're, we're, we're extremely important, but we're so small. Uh, that's It's so, so wild to think about because the small things we see are ants or, you know, pieces of dust, uh, like, so exactly a quote that he says is there's earth, um, suspended in a sunbeam. So if you guys have ever opened the window and you've seen the sun coming through and maybe, you know, you brush off your desk and a little bit of dust flies in the air, take a moment to just look at that and look at that piece of like a piece or a few pieces of dust as they pass through the sun that would be the sunbeam. This is the comparison that Carl Sagan is making in his speech to where Earth is within this sunbeam within the photo, because you could see that in the picture, you have 
literally a strip of sunlight and then this tiny, tiny little blue dot. So that being said, Carl Sagan just totally blew everyone's minds um, with, with just talking, with, with just his, his, his interpretation, with explaining what we're seeing here and saying, you know, just, just process for a second that everyone you've ever known and everything that's ever been created, absolutely everything, all of our reality is in this tiny, tiny little dot on an image. So uh, it's, it's definitely a very shifty um, of perspective. So kind of jumping into his biography, he is from Brooklyn, which is really exciting. I'm from Brooklyn. Um, so so when I first learned that, uh, I don't know, probably sometime in college, I got so excited. I was like, oh my gosh. But it's also just because anytime I meet someone from Brooklyn, I get excited. So um, he, he's originally from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, he first started getting interested in astronomy at a very young age, uh, about five years old. And uh, he ended up going to the library to get a bunch of books on stars and space. And um, then he ended up attending the New York World's Fair. And uh, this is where he started to kind of get more interest in the sciences, more interest in um, in astronomy. And, and this goes to show how important it is to bring kiddos or even as we're adults to attend events, to attend in-person things like the World's Fair or the Science Festival or museums, because this is, as humans, like we're so delicate, like this is what sparks our interest, this is what sparks our inspiration. And if you're not going out and you're not exploring or learning new things, we can really start to lack inspiration. Um, and eventually that can compound over time and you can start to lack inspiration in lots of things. And, you know, it, it's just, it's just saying that like the self-isolation thing is, is, you know, not so great. I think a lot of us kind of experienced that, uh, you know, during COVID. So I'm just hoping now that like more places are, are opening up. I hope you guys get to go out and go to some in-person events with that being said. A uh, little side note, next week's uh, historical figures is going to be about Stephen Hawking. Uh, so <laughs> I see his name here and I don't want to forget that. So those of you who don't know about Stephen Hawking, oh, I'm so excited. I will also go into a tangent talking about him. Um, oh, awesome. Hello to my new viewers. Just see, I got a few people join us. Uh, if you're just joining, we are chatting about Carl Sagan. Uh, if you don't know about Carl Sagan, um, I just played a short excerpt of Pale Blue Dot, which was the first time an image was taken of Earth from the perspective of Saturn. So there was a spacecraft all the way up by Saturn. And Carl Sagan gave this very famous speech, kind of bringing into perspective our reality and our experiences and our, our life here on earth from the perspective of something very, very far away and kind of realizing that everyone and everything you've ever known has actually been residing on this tiny, tiny thing in space. Um, so if you want to listen to that, I highly recommend checking it out. I'll actually attach the link in the comments right here. Also, if you guys ever want to leave any comments and say anything, feel free to, or if you want to call in, you could tap that call in button. I don't quite see any comments, so if you are leaving any comments, I will um, hopefully, maybe I'll see it after we publish it. Um, 
All right. So Carl Sagan, as I mentioned, got born in Brooklyn. Uh, interest in astronomy began very young, about five years old. Uh, eventually went to library, and grabbed a bunch of books on space. And then what really was a big inspiration for him was going to the World's Fair in New York, which is, again, tying to that importance, as I mentioned, to go out and go to events and meet other people because that can really spark your inspiration and interest in things that you maybe didn't think you'd pursue in your life. So highly recommend that. Um, He's a huge science fiction fan as well. And so science fiction plays, I think, a very vital role in technological developments and scientific thinking and even human evolution and philosophy. Because if we can think some think of something then most likely we'll find a way to create it as well. Um, and I love to refer to Star Trek quite a lot. Um, I, I did grow up watching uh, the original series and recently started watching The Next Generation. And there's so many scenes in Star Trek, if you haven't watched it before, where not only do you see technology that didn't exist yet, such as the iPad, um, and it's so cool because you're like, oh, seeing it in the show, and now here we have today the same exact tech uh, items. Um, and on top of that, it's, I think, very kind of progressive thinking philosophically as well. Uh, kind of how do we determine what intelligent life is? Is it going to be biological like us? Or what if it comes in the form of tiny robotic pieces like nanobites, self-replicating nanobites? They are conscious. They are reproducing. So is it life or is it not? Just, just a thought experiment. So eventually, Carl Sagan went on to uh, go to the University of Chicago. He graduated high school early at age 16 in 1951. Uh, and then he ended up exploring the realm of alien life. He's like, I really, uh, he became passionate about this. He wanted to try to uh, become like possibly someone to help find alien life. Uh, he got really fascinated about it. By 1955, he graduated with a bachelor's in physics. And then he received his master's uh, the next year. And then four years later, he moved to California after obtaining his PhD in astronomy and astrophysics, where he eventually went to University of California at Berkeley and ended up becoming a fellow in astronomy. Uh, he then ended up working with a team that developed an infrared radiometer for NASA's Mariner 2 robotic probe. Now, when we do space history here on uh, Space Talk, we'll tend to, we tend to go over these different types of space missions. Uh, so the Mariner 2 probe was actually a space probe, which is just another term for a spacecraft. reason it's called a probe is because it's typically literally probing something like a planet or the sun. It's trying to search for more information about that body. And so this was to go to Venus. We wanted to probe Venus, understand Venus's atmosphere, understand the surface of Venus. And so this is the Mariner 2 mission. And so Carl Sagan ended up being part of a project that helped develop an infrared radiometer for that as well. Uh, so as I was mentioning before, Carl Sagan went on to kind of, he was in academia for a very long time, but the most prominent role that a lot of us know him from or as is being this astounding science communicator, being on television, being able to finally sort of connect uh, the, the public who aren't in the world of science, who aren't scientists and researchers with understanding what's happening in space with NASA missions, with missions he's working on and why this is important. 
And so um, I want to share another little excerpt from an interview of his real quick. So let's go ahead and pull this up. This is a 1994 lecture uh, titled Lost. It is the age of exploration. So this was, as I mentioned, year 1994. I shared earlier his uh, pale blue dot speech, just you know, about, about a minute of that. Uh, link is in the, the caption if you guys want to check it or in the, in the comments. But with this one, um, this is a, a really good example, as I mentioned before, of when he started doing more public speeches and talking about why exploring the cosmos is important. Not just knowing and understanding more, but also just having this sort of human uh, touch on other planetary bodies, because this causes a shift, not just in, you know, our technological development, but in our philosophical evolution and our human evolution. So let's listen in. The falling of pebbles in, the collapse of the raised rims, debris blown into it. So right now he's talking about, and I'll, I'll share this link as well, but he's talking about um, debris fields that tend to happen on surfaces of Mars, because Mars has these really massive sandstorms sometimes. In fact, it's caused problems in the past with some of NASA's rovers that are on the surface. Um, it's it's a lot of times a lot of these rovers are charged by solar panels, uh, and this is because it's just easier to be able to charge the battery because there isn't any outlet on Mars. We there's no there's no habitats just yet, which I think in the future there will be, and once there will be some form of electric uh, like current overall, massive solar panels, then they can probably charge up their rovers by having a machine plug it in or the rover plugging them in themselves. And so when these sandstorms come, it'll start to cause a very thick layer, not only over the solar panels on the rovers, which can be very damaging to the, the instruments, but it also is going to be obstructing the solar radiation. And uh, this can cause for the rovers to go cold and possibly eventually die, which I believe is actually what happened to Opportunity, which is kind of a bummer. But that's okay. We still have some some rovers up there, like the Perseverance rover, which was the most recent one sent to the surface of Mars. This was the first time a helicopter was on the planet as well. Um, the idea or the, the main mission for the Perseverance rover and the helicopter named Ingenuity is to search for previous signs of life on Mars because it's uh, believed that there probably was some form of life on Mars before it lost its atmosphere, uh, and which is understood right now that it's possibly from some big collision that may have happened to the planet that could have caused a, a really bad impact to the planet causing for its electromagnetic field to uh, basically end up uh, dispersing and causing for the whole atmosphere to not be held in, uh, which is, that makes sense a little bit, but the reason we have our atmosphere safe here on earth is because of our electromagnetic field around it. It helps protect it so that it doesn't end up getting damaged from, from solar wind and radiation. So let's skip forward a little bit. I just want to play a little bit more of 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 this speech because um, there are a few really good parts, and then of course I'll send the link as well. Um, oh, let's see. We got a great comment from Matteo Matteo D. 
uh, we're mostly confident there was water at one point. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, ideas that there probably was water. There are some evidence of uh, possibly some ridges on Mars where there may have been liquid water at one point. Uh, there also are ice caps on Mars on the north and I believe also the south pole. I would double check that first. Um, and so because of these ice caps, although they are mainly of, made up of carbon dioxide, uh, this still means that there may have possibly been some kind of condition on this planet for possible life to have existed. And, and I do keep in mind as well is even though us humans are quite fragile, uh, uh, you know, at times, like if, if the temperature is too hot or too cold or we don't have water, you know, we'll, we'll die. Um, but there are extremophiles, which are super tiny microorganisms that can survive under these crazy types of conditions. You might have heard of a tardigrade before. They're also known as the, the bears, I think the water bears. Um, and so there's different kinds of extremophiles. There's psychophiles, thermophiles, uh, and then another one I don't remember off the top of my head, but they can live under extreme cold conditions extreme hot conditions, and even conditions where there's no water. Some conditions, I think, even when there's no air. So it's possible, too, in parts of actually the deserts here on Earth where they'll go dormant. These, these uh, microorganisms can go dormant. So basically, they're going into hibernation. And if the conditions are right and there's rain again and there's water, this can actually bring them back to life. Uh, and this isn't the first time that uh, this has been found. Uh, there's also some species of frogs that um, will completely go under permafrost and they'll freeze and their hearts will stop. So you'll think they're dead, but as soon as the weather conditions start to warm up and the frost will start to melt off their bodies, that will come back to life. Pretty fascinating stuff. I highly recommend watching some nature documentaries if you guys ever want to watch that. Um, for me, I like Night on Earth is one of my one of my favorites. And then suppose you had the information. There's not one soul on that planet who thinks otherwise. Every one of them thinks they're at the center of the universe. So uh, if you heard that, by the way, I, I'm not too sure if the audio is sounding too great, so I'm not going to play any more. But um, Carl Sagan is making a point here kind of about uh ego like human just just person personal ego and and this is something i think that can shift in quite a lot of us and this was something i think that also impacted a lot of people from carl sagan's uh just presence in the public eye is this sense of um importance and and being kind of the center of our own universe and it's okay on one hand right it's it's perfectly natural like that we'll kind of think this way we'll, we'll care more about our like you know our, our our loved ones our families before possibly strangers but at the same time if you can start to shift that perspective and have empathy for for others and and the rest of our planet as well this can start to really help transform kind of this evolution of of society and of humanity and maybe reach a more peaceful like kind of life and living environment. And this is something that comes from the field of astronomy. I, I do think it's something quite special. I felt it myself when I first started learning about uh, just the, the massive size of our universe, of our solar system, and kind of where we're at, this tiny little dot, this, this earth. Uh, and so I want to actually kind of go back to his pale blue dot speech just to wrap up here. Um, 
because kind of finishing off on that thought as we've gotten to explore quite a lot with Carl. Again, I know some of you guys got to join a little bit later, so I will publish this episode once we're done here. Um, But the perspective of this pale blue dot image, uh, I think, was something that was possibly an ego kill for a lot of individuals because it made you start to notice that it is so much smaller than maybe we thought we were. Um, maybe we thought we were so big and so massive and so mighty because we are the only ones that we know of so far that exist uh, within our universe that are uh, at a level of intelligence where we've been able to create technology in this world that we live in. But at the same time, uh, we're, we're so, so tiny and we rely so heavily on things like our sun uh, and and our, our Earth performing at its most nominal and, and vital self. And so it's really important to remember that and to cherish also our planet. Um, Before I go ahead and just play this to wrap us up, I'm going to open up the chat and see if anyone wants to call in. I believe I have it set here. I'll set it to public now. So if anyone wants to call in, maybe any comments or questions you have, um, I can share to whatever knowledge I might have to be able to provide. But um, I would love to also hear just any opinions on what we've kind of gained from Carl. I hope this inspires some of you to uh, maybe pick up his books. As I've mentioned, I've read uh, Cosmos is a really great book. Contact is also a really good book by him. And uh, A Demon Haunted World. There's there's a, quite a lot of books, um, but those are probably my, my three that I currently have and probably my top three. I've also done the audiobook of... Billions and billions. I've listened to the audiobook of that one, which is also really, really phenomenal. I'll, of course, share all of this in the caption after I publish this episode, as well as the links to Pale Blue Dot and the 1994 Lost, uh, the Age of Exploration lecture, which is about an hour and a half long. So if you ever are <laughs> cleaning the house or something and want to listen to that lecture, I'll be sure to share that. All right. Doesn't look like I've got any callers coming in. Totally Okay. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Space Talk. Um, as always, I hope you guys get to get outside and look up at the night sky. If you haven't caught yesterday's episode of what you have to look forward to in the night sky for both the northern and southern hemispheres, I'll be publishing that episode probably sometime in the next 30 minutes. And you can tune in. Maybe you can catch some of the open star clusters, galaxies, and constellations. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much again. I hope you have a wonderful day. And to sign off, let's go ahead and listen to Pale Blue Dot again. The Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love everyone you know everyone you ever heard of every human being who ever was lived out their lives the aggregate of our joy and suffering thousands of confident religions ideologies and economic doctrines every hunter and forager every hero and coward every creator and destroyer of civilization every king and peasant every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every 
superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Ad Astra.